Well, amen. Amen. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 22. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 22. We're going to speak this morning as we continue in this series through Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, on a heart beating for reconciliation. Last week, we spoke about the heart of God, and the week before that, we talked about how to come to God as a child. So each of these is to build on the next. We've been in this series that is talking about drama. And drama is so easy to have amongst people when you do life together. It's possible to be at odds with somebody or something happen or a relationship falter or fail or something like that. And it's something is introduced into your life, family, church, community, school, friend group, go on, you fill in the blank. Drama is just a reality. Workplace, it is a reality and a fact of life. But we have, as the people of God, a tool for helping not just keep it down, but eliminate it amongst us. And first is to acknowledge, as we looked at the first week, how we all come to God and we must come to Him as a child. Last week, we looked at God's heart, God's heart and how He cares for each of us. This week, we're going to talk about God's heart as it concerns reconciliation amongst brothers and sisters. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 22. Let me read that to you from the Scripture this morning. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. We're going to speak this morning on a heart beating for reconciliation. Here's our main statement. Christians sin against Christians. This should not be a shock to anyone this morning, but if it is to you, you have had a blessed life. Christians sin against Christians, and Jesus has left us a guide for reconciliation. It's been a few years since I've seen the series, but there was a series, a dramatized series, put out on the History Channel concerning the Hatfields and the McCoys 
Kevin Costner played in that. Did anybody else in this room see that series? I see those hands, yes. I absolutely loved that. Part of it is that my heritage and family comes from mountain culture. Of course, not Kentucky and West Virginia. I'm from the real mountains in Tennessee. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, it was fascinating to me because like, if you just knew where I was from, like, you would think those are my family. And, um, but anyway, so I just thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was teaching a message in South Mississippi on reconciliation. And I said something along the lines, you don't want to be like the Hatfields and McCoys, where, and I was preaching that message right when that TV series was out. And I said, for instance, they just fought and fought and hated each other. And it just, you know, snowballed. Well, afterwards, a lady came up to me and said, I can't believe you said what you said. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, about what? She said, about the Hatfields and McCoys. And I can't remember her first name. She was visiting, but she said, we'll just call her Dolores. She said, hi, I'm Dolores McCoy. And I said, oh, as in that, that group of McCoys? She said, yes. She said, but you don't need to be afraid. I'm not a Hatfield. So... <laughs> But anyway, that really, that really happened. But we know famous feuds that have happened throughout history. And perhaps feuds that have happened in your life and even amongst the people of God. Friends, I can even think of a famous feud that happened between Paul and Barnabas. In fact, Barnabas is, it's, Barnabas is the nickname, by the way, of this Jewish uh, uh, apostle and, and missionary, it means encourager. And Paul had a falling out with Barnabas, the man of encouragement. So sometimes things happen. Sometimes we sin against each other, and Jesus has left us a guide this morning. There's a lot of information to cover, so we're just going to jump into it and push forward. So Christians sin against Christians, and Jesus has left us a guide for reconciliation. Principle number one in dealing with Matthew 18, because my guess is this is not your first time to read Matthew 18, 15 through 22. It is important to take note what this passage is dealing with and what this passage is not dealing with. It's important to take note what this passage is dealing with and what this passage is not dealing with. If you were to go and sit and Young seminarians' conversations on Matthew 18, 15 through 22, and you were to ask and say, well, what is that passage all about? The fastest, most quick response you will hear is, oh, that's the passage on church discipline. Well, I would beg to differ. This is not a passage about church discipline. Now, don't get me wrong. There are passages which are about church discipline, but this is not what Jesus is addressing here. This passage deals with how to approach a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned against you. I want you to look with me in verse number 15. Look in verse number 15. If your brother sins against you, right there, that you is singular. That is not y'all. This is not an offense against the church. This is an offense against you as an individual. So the reason... First and foremost, and I'm not alone in this, that there, the pulpit commentary points this out as others, 
the reason this is not concerning church discipline is because this is concerning a falling out or an impasse or a sin against a brother or sister, against individuals. So this passage deals with how to approach a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned against you. Now, we know this happens in church. We know this happens in family. There are sometimes we offend each other, we sin against each other, and no reconciliation takes place, and we can sit on it for years and fester. Sit on it for years and be driven apart. It, it happens. We all know this. I don't have to give you examples because we all have an example close enough to know, yeah, that's what that is. Perhaps there is somebody in your life that you have been separated from because Drama has entered the relationship. Well, this is a guide on how to deal with this. But before proceeding, this is principle number two, before proceeding with the instruction and meaning of the passage, context must be considered. I will say, when I was preparing this study, this was back in May when I was thinking about the big idea of this particular passage, I noticed something that I'd never noticed before. And that is where this particular passage, because if you would have asked me, by the way, in May, what is Matthew 15, 18 through 22 about? I would have said it's about church discipline. But I'd never paid attention to the passage. So like this, first of all, this instruction falls directly after the parable of the lost sheep. If you have your copy of the Lord's Word right in front of you, you can see there in verse number 12, which is right before, this is the section right before, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search the one who went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Very next word, now, if your brother sins against you, I'd never paid attention to the flow of thought. I had always focused on Matthew 18, 15 through 22 as a matter of church discipline and just looking at it for procedure only, not paying attention to the context at all. Right after the story of the lost sheep is where we find this passage. But also, to add more context, which is even more fascinating, it's this instruction falls immediately before the parable of the unforgiving servant. Now, I don't have time to read that to you, but that is in Matthew 18, verse 23, through the end of the chapter. You come back next week, and we will talk about that one. Back in May, when I was preparing for this series as a whole, and I was looking at this, I called my good friend Nathan Van Horn in Corinth, Mississippi, and I said, Nathan, have you ever paid attention to Matthew 18 of where the passage in the section on church discipline falls? It falls after the lost sheep and before the parable of the unforgiving servant. He said, man, Matt, that is so interesting. It's so easy to read straight past that. This instruction falls directly after the parable of the lost sheep and directly and immediately before the parable of the unforgiving servant. So, these elements alone teach us 
this passage deals, and I've got a little typo here, this is my fault, it should say this passage deals with intervention and with rescue. That's what that should read. This passage deals with intervention and with rescue and reconciliation, not confrontation for the purpose of vengeance and and vindictiveness. Let me read that again to you. These elements alone, the fact, the context where this instruction is found, these elements alone teach us this passage deals with intervention and with rescue and reconciliation, not confrontation for the purpose of vengeance and vindictiveness. So, what does this mean? Something needs to be considered. This passage is about reconciliation. This is not the first time you're going to hear me say that today. This passage is about reconciliation. Therefore, if I am unwilling to forgive, I'm not ready to confront. Don't miss that. This is so important. This passage is not about church discipline. It's not about vengeance. It's not about vindictiveness. It's not about shaming. It's not about punishment. It's about reconciliation. Therefore, if I'm not ready to forgive... I'm not ready to confront. You can confront someone with pain for the purpose of causing them pain, but that's vengeance and vindictiveness. This is not what that's about. This is about reconciliation. So, therefore, if I'm unwilling to forgive, I am not ready to confront because there are deeper and darker issues at work in me. Now, more on this next week. Don't miss it. So, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Judge not that you would not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Notice what it says. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, When there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It does not say that we're not to confront brothers and sisters. It just says, hey, you've got to deal with you first. You have to deal with you first before you ever deal with your brother and sister. And if you are not ready to forgive, you're not ready to confront. Because Jesus' instruction is not for vengeance and vindictiveness or punishment or shame. It is for reconciliation. Okay, so let's now talk about the process of reconciliation. The process of reconciliation. First is this. The process of reconciliation with their brother or sister is best understood through steps. Now, I didn't give these steps. Jesus gives these steps. So it was a really easy thing to prepare this part of it because we're just going to do what Jesus says here. So the process of reconciliation with a brother or sister, if you had an impasse, a falling out, someone sinned against you, things like that, well, it's best understood through steps. So look at verse 15 again. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Notice what this passage does not say. If you have privately sinned against your brother, 
Let's say you have cursed him in your mind. You have hated him, hated her, not liked them, and in your mind you have just hated on them, called curses down upon them. You know, every time somebody said their name, like, man, I hate that person in your mind, stuff like that. Listen, don't go apologize to them for that. Private sins need private confession. When it's only between you and God and nobody else in the world, you need to confess that to God. Why? Because if you take that, you only provide a stumbling block for your brother. For instance, how would you feel if someone came up to you and just said, hey, Bob, just want to let you know, I've just been convicted lately. I mean, for the last 10 years, I've hated you. I've hated everything about you. Even when I see someone in a truck like yours, it makes me spit on the ground. Is that, but I want you to know I've given it to God and I love you in Christ, my brother. What's Bob going to say? Well, thanks. I think, right? No, you don't do that. A private sin between you and God alone is between you and God to not provide a stumbling block for your brother. But notice what the scripture does say. When your brother sins against you. Now we do know that grace covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. This should not be petty. But if someone has genuinely caused you harm, sinned against you, then you are to go to him or her. This process, by the way, begins with dealing with a single sin. It begins with dealing with a single sin. What does this mean? We are not to allow sins against us from a particular sins against us from a particular person to accumulate lest we bottle up our feelings only to explode at an inappropriate time. If your brother or sister has sinned against you, and it is so significant that it's, it can't be resigned to, you know what, that was, they just weren't thinking or that was oversight. I'm just going to cover that with mercy. It was genuine harm. You have been harmed, not just offended, not just your feelings hurt, but you have been harmed by a brother or sister. That doesn't just mean physically. It could be a host of reasons. But what I'm saying is don't be petty. This, this does not work where if your brother or sister sins against you, listen, we don't want to hear three weeks from now a brother or sister in our church going up and saying, listen, you sinned against me when you, you know, frowned at me when we were in church that day. No, 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 no. We cannot be. This is genuine, undeniable harm. You have been harmed by another person, and that happens. So this process begins with a single sin, and we are to not uh, to allow these to bottle up and accumulate over time. Also, notice the scripture notes that this is a sin against you not being offended by someone. Again, this is a genuine, a legitimate fault, a harm against you. So, what does this teach us? Reconciliation with a brother or sister must be specific. 
if it is a genuine hurt, a genuine pain, a genuine sin against you, it has to be dealt with specifically. So when you go to your brother, don't him haul around. Go to your sister, don't him haul around. You be specific. Look, this is what I understood you to do. And by the way, when you have to confront somebody, and we all have to, a guy named, you all don't know this, know this man, his name is D.C. Greer. He was the chairman of the pulpit committee of East Haven Baptist Church, the church I pastored in South Mississippi. And D.C. Greer worked for a, a company called Government, Government Capital. They would uh, do financing for municipalities and buying fire trucks and helicopters and so on and so forth. D.C.'s a great guy, a good, dear friend of mine. But D.C. taught me to do something years ago because he knew I was a young pastor. I was 26 years old, and it was probably a bad idea to call me anyway because I was 26. But nonetheless, he took me under his wing, and he said, listen, as a pastor, you're going to have to confront people. He said, let me just help you. Never say, why did you do that? Don't, if you have to confront, don't inform somebody what they've done. Give them an opportunity to explain to you what they've done. So he said, here's the golden phrase, and it's so helpful. Write this one down. If you have to confront someone, here's what you say. Hey, could you help me understand this? The other day, I saw this happen. You said this, and I'm trying to make sense of what you were saying. Friends, if you will take a soft approach in confrontation, it is amazing it is amazing what will happen when a, remember, a soft answer turns away wrath. If you walk in and say, what the heck, man? Oh boy, you think they're going to apologize? No, they're on defense immediately. But if you come in and you say, listen, because why your purpose is reconciliation. It's not punitive. It's reconciliation. Hey, help me understand this. The other day, I was at my house and I saw you grab my wallet and you took it for three days and didn't bring it back. <laughs> Can you just help me understand that? And maybe they have a good reason. But let them tell you the reason as opposed to assuming you know everything. Let me tell you this. You know one of the things that I have found? When you give people an opportunity to explain themselves, you go, oh, well, okay, we're fine. I didn't, I thought it was something else. Nothing, don't worry about it. But if you go in judging, you hit a roadblock quickly. We don't have a lot of time this morning because we need to do the important stuff at the end. Not that this is not important, but let's keep going. The process is to be confidential, to preserve the friendship and to protect your friend. Notice what the scripture says. Oh, this is so helpful, Lord Please let us, as the people of God, starting with me, practice this. Go tell him his fault. So, hey, help me understand what's going on here. Between you and him alone. Oh, that's so hard, right? Because here's how it shows up in Baptist churches, right? Any prayer requests today in Sunday school? Well, you know, I've just got something I'm dealing with with somebody. I'm not going to mention any of your names, but, you know, I'm related to him, and I only have two brothers. And um, I just need you all to be praying for me, and, you know, I might have to have a conversation or something. like. No, you don't do that. All right? In fact, a wise pastor told me years ago, he said, when people come to you 
and say, Brother Matt, somebody has offended me. Somebody has hurt me. And I need to know what to do. He said, don't give them any more counsel specifically until you have said, have you talked with them yet? First and foremost, if there is an offense between you and your brother, you and your sister, you go to them alone. Friends, the process is to be confidential, to preserve friendship and to protect your friend and also to preserve the unity of the church. Often an indicator of the motives of the person sinned against is revealed by how they reveal the sin and to whom they reveal it. Here's what happens so often. The offended person, and you can't blame them, they've been hurt, but the offended person tells everybody else in the world before they finally get to the person to talk with them about the problem. So by the time they get to the person who has offended them, now the person who has offended them is offended by them because they have trashed that person's name. This is why clear instruction. Do you have an issue with her brother, sister, or sister? Call them on the phone. Ask if you can meet with them privately. Do so discreetly. Even if it turns out that it's a real deal and you say, hey, help me understand, and you realize, wow, they, they really have hurt me. They really have hurt me. Do so privately. If you do it publicly, it will only go bad. The process of reconciliation should not be used for vengeance. And often we go public with our offenses, the offenses that have been put against us because we want to embarrass the other person or we want them to pay for what they've done. Jesus says that's not the way it should be. So the next thing is this. The process is for the sole purpose of reconciliation and forgiveness. Why is this even in Matthew 18? For reconciliation and forgiveness. The process of reconciliation also stops immediately upon repentance. That's why you don't confront until you're ready to forgive. Because this whole process of, well, if you go to him and if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he says to you, listen, I'm sorry, I've messed up, forgive me. Or she says to you, you've got to be ready to forgive them and let it go. The process is to stop immediately when there is a moment of repentance. Remember, repentance means change of mind. It doesn't mean change of life. Repentance will lead to a changed life, but repentance means a change of mind. If they say to you, listen, I was wrong, you've got to forgive them. Also, the process is advanced only when there is a refusal to repent. Look in verse number 16. But if he does not listen... Go to the church. No, that's not what it says. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So let's go to the next thing as well. The purpose of bringing others is for reconciliation. Not only is the process only advanced when there's a refusal to repent, but even when the process is advanced, it's for the purpose of reconciliation. Notice at the beginning of verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, 
meaning it stops if he listens. Typically, oh my goodness, most people, when they are confronted, if they're confronted softly and gently, they will say, you know what, you're right, I was wrong and I'm sorry. Now, there are exceptions, and that's why this is here. But if we do this the way Jesus prescribes it, it's amazing what can be avoided. And also, the benefit of having two or three others. Two or three others can come and help listen and hear both sides and help both of you perhaps understand. Which leads to the next thing. Is bringing a matter out in the open to the church is the very last step. And even here, the purpose is for reconciliation. Listen to verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If he refuses to listen even to the church, the purpose is reconciliation. So, if the person refuses to repent and even ignores the church, Note what the final instruction is and who it is for. I'd never paid attention to this, and half of the commentaries I have miss this point, and the other half don't. Put this verse up on the screen if you don't mind. Okay, this is Matthew 18, 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you, Singular. How interesting. Not let him be to the church, but be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Who is this final word for? This is why the pulpit commentary says this is not concerning church discipline. This is about when to call off reconciliation with a brother. You have exhausted all of your options. And what Jesus is telling you here. Let it be to you. You've tried as best as you can to reconcile with a person. Here's what Jesus is saying. You've got to let it go. You have to let it go. And you have to acknowledge this relationship is broken. He is going to be to me as a tax collector or a Gentile. She's going to be as that. It's just I can't fix this. It takes two sides to reconcile. So if you exhaust this full process, you have to be ready to let the person go and leave them for the Lord to deal with. So, final thing here, because we're out of time, but we've covered a lot of ground today, is if we believe vengeance and justice are the way we deal with those who sin against us, we have simply forgotten or are ignoring the gospel. You might be saying, well, Matt, I mean, when's somebody going to like pay for what they did? Friends, this is church. The courthouse is down the street. This is church. This is the one house in all of the world where you can come and be forgiven. This place is not about vengeance and justice the way we understand it in secular society. And we trust that God is going to deal with those as he sees fit, but it's our responsibility to forgive. It's interesting what Jesus' comment here, and I'd never paid attention to this before, but Jesus' comment, he's actually channeling a dark character to make a point. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, there's a guy named Lamech, all right? Lamech said to his wives, he's in the 
the line of Cain's sons. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. Do you understand what he's saying? He hurt me, but I killed him. And a young man for striking me. He just slapped me, hit me, and I killed him. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. This is the first time in the Bible where the phrase 77 or 70 times 7, when you look in the Greek Septuagint, occurs. And commentators of all stripes say Jesus is referencing Lamech when he says how often we are to forgive our brothers. Because Peter asks him, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Rabbis taught three. Peter says seven times. Jesus says no, 70 times seven. Oh, you mean like that guy that said, if you hurt me, I will bust you up 77-fold? Yes, he said, but the exact opposite. Lamech's heart is positioned for vengeance. Our heart is to be positioned for forgiveness. Friends, you do not have to pursue the path of reconciliation. You can pursue vengeance, but vengeance and anger destroys Forgiveness and love heals. And we must choose between them. Here's a verse that we should ponder as the people of God. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Will you bow with me for prayer? As we're bowing our heads, I'm going to go ahead and invite the men who will serve the Lord's table to the front to begin positioning themselves. As these men are coming, I want to ask each of us to position our hearts before God. Lord, as we were going through the Scripture, many of us in this room were thinking about that person that we've had a falling out with a genuine falling out with. And Lord, reconciliation needs to take place. Lord, some of us aren't ready to forgive. I pray that you would help our hearts understand how much we're forgiven. Lord, some of us are ready to forgive, but we just haven't taken that step. Lord, will you give us courage to do so? Lord, some of us have spent lifetimes not reconciling with anybody. Lord, can you use this scripture today to help us mend the bridges between your people, people that we're going to spend eternity with in heaven? Lord, I pray for our hearts today. Lord, some of us may be convicted because we realize we've separated friends or Lord, when we talk about sin, it's so we're all guilty. Lord, this meal, this table is for us. This table is for sinners. This table is not for good people. This table is for those for whom Christ died, which is sinners. And Lord, we come as needy people. So Lord, we prepare our hearts. I would invite each person in this room, just take a minute and examine your heart. 
just a few moments, examine your heart. Is there anything in your life that you're holding out on God? Is there anything that you've done that you've not confessed to him? Not apologized and said, Lord, I was wrong. It was sin. Please forgive me. Won't you confess it to him now? Just ask the Holy Spirit to bring anything to mind. Lord, we're sinners, but we're yours. And you forgive us. You tell us in your word, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, now will you take our sin and our sins and cleanse us and let us feel and experience what it means to be free and forgiven. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen and amen.